Best Book Bits podcast brings you Forrest Dumbro, a serial entrepreneur and sales consultant with 18 years experience in the online marketing industry and is the author of Clone the Ace, a battle-tested blueprint to sell digital marketing services like a pro. Forrest, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. No worries. Now, for audience uh, who might not know you, let's go back in time. Who is the 18-year-old Forrest? Uh, what were you doing and what were you dreaming of? Man, that was a long time ago. Uh, the 18-year-old Forrest was, uh, wanted to be a toy inventor. Um, was definitely a serial entrepreneur from an early age. It kind of my father instilled that in me. He used to tell me bedtime stories about how to start businesses and stuff. And I was definitely the kid out in front of the house trying to sell stuff. You know, usually my mom's stuff that she then got pissed about. So, you know, just had that entrepreneurial start. It was athletic and uh, excited to build an empire. Why did you want to become a toy inventor? What was that motivation? Uh, I'm trying to remember what triggered it, but, you know, junior year of college, uh, you know, people start thinking about what do I want to be after college and maybe I should get an internship, that kind of stuff. I, I, for several years, had run an ice cream delivery business in my hometown, so I was already very entrepreneurial. And I just started reading books and I came across, I think it was this concept that toy inventors could come up with a concept and then license it and get royalties forever. And I read all these stories. So it was this concept of licensing and royalties and just, I don't know, I was just attracted to to toys and I just thought that was a really cool, cool uh, career path. Yeah, perfect. And what got you into sort of what was the next job finishing school? You were selling popcorn, doll up internet sales job. Is that correct? How did the sort of unfold after you, you finished yeah, school? Yeah, it's been an eclectic path. I, I actually went to law school, so I'm a licensed attorney. Uh, realized I didn't want to do that. So I got into sales for a little bit and then started, a, as you mentioned, a gourmet popcorn company, sold that, uh, opened a wine and liquor store with some friends, sold that. Uh, and then during that period, got into marketing. So became a digital marketing manager, was terrible at sales, as I talk about in the book. And I was really more of a marketer working with the clients Got into persuasive copywriting and conversion rate optimization before that was really a thing many, many years ago. Um, and that just blossomed into then leaving and starting my own digital marketing agency, which was very successful. Sold my shares of that to my partners because they didn't really want to grow. And I had outsold all of our capacity several times. Um, and they wanted me to kind of roll back in and start doing digital marketing again. But I had really grown to love sales. And so I didn't want to do that. So we're still friends. They're still going strong. And uh, I moved more into sales consulting, um, started a bunch of other businesses along the way, some successful, some not, uh, but really started to focus on sales for the last 10 to 15 years, both as a salesperson for my own agency, and then as a consultant under Solve Sales, which is my current my current company. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me uh, about your current company head and uh, who the clients you serve and uh, what do you? What's the expertise in in, in the business? Yeah. Um, so Solve Sales is about six or seven years old, but in the middle, one of my clients, who's a digital marketing agency, uh, recruited me to kind of take over sales and business development. So. Technically, they were always a client, but um, I really went in and refined all the sales processes and systems that I had developed when I was doing sales for my own agency. When I left, I wanted to 
you know, be a professional speaker. And so I started creating a presentation and the presentation kept getting longer and longer and longer. And I said, you know what? I want to just write a book about it. And so it was all about my sales processes and systems that I developed, very specific to digital marketing agencies, which is what the book's about. Solve Sales, though, has evolved uh, beyond just digital marketing agencies. So we would say we're business to business sales consultants. So anybody that sells a more complex service, software companies, uh, research companies, environmental consulting companies, uh, that have a more strategic sales process. We help them uh, help differentiate themselves, optimize their sales process. We do sales training uh, and coaching. And so it's really a comprehensive approach to improving and scaling your sales function if you're a B2B service provider. Yeah, got it. Yeah, that makes sense of how the book came out. So you got the book there in your hand, hold it up, show us, uh, show us the book, what it looks like. Clone the Ace. When when did uh, when did it come out, and um, how's it been received so far? Yeah, it just came out last March, so a little bit less than a year. Um, it's been very well received. I've got some very cool uh, unsolicited emails from people saying this changed our whole business. I just closed the biggest deal we've ever had, and. Uh, you know, the, the customer said exactly what you said they would say right after we did the presentation. And so I've just had a lot of really um, rewarding feedback that people are actually making more money using the book. Yeah, great. And we're going to jump into the book as well. So this podcast is about interviewing authors and their books and going through sort of the best book bits, as they say, uh, in the thing. So let's jump into it. So I, I read the book recently, an amazing book. So congratulations on it's a fantastic sales and marketing book. And, and I like the history where you go back uh, and talk about some great stories. So one of the first stories that I read in the book is uh, about McDonald's and their speedy service system. Do you want to sort of rant or, or unpack that and tell us a little bit about um, how McDonald's started with their systems and processes with the speedy service system? Yeah, you know, um, there was a movie a, a number of years ago, The Founder, which kind of went into this. And so I think a lot of people are somewhat familiar, but if you're not, it's just the story of Ray Kroc, who went to the first McDonald's Brothers restaurant. They only had one of them and ended up growing it by creating systems and processes that could be repeatable by even average um you know, cooks. You didn't have to be a whiz if you just followed the steps. And so that's kind of the premise of the whole book and the title, Clone the Ace, is if you have a great cook and you can um, document their process and make that efficient, make it repeatable, that's how you can bring in salespeople more easily and clone the performance of the top salespeople. And that's kind of how that story uh, sets the stage for the rest of the book. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, one some of the things I got from it was um, in the book you talk about some of the tasks and skills needed to run a, a basic sales system, and I think a lot of companies are missing out that documentation process on a business. Yeah. Uh, the value of a business is based on their documentation system on how can this be replicated uh, by other people and how can you get you know the average Joe to to come in to that system and then yeah. work that system efficiently as well. So yeah, it started off with that, and then you jump into uh, a name I'm familiar with as well, and we can talk about it. But who is W. Edwards Deming to you and people that don't know that name? Um, who is that person? Yeah, well, he was a, you know, a person that that helped really drive the importance of systems in a business. 
And he's got so many great quotes and information that really illuminated exactly what I was trying to say. You know, sometimes you're you're trying to say something, you're trying to get a point across and someone has just said it perfectly. And so I found in his material and his teachings around business systems and processes, you know, kind of a kindred spirit, even though he's, he's since, you know, deceased um, in terms of putting a process in place to really help people. You know, back to what you were just saying with regards to McDonald's and documentation. One of the things, I, examples I use, and, and it relates to Deming, is um, Legos, building Lego sets. So a lot of people have seen the big Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. It's one of their biggest, most complicated sets. It has 7,500 pieces. Um, and the thing about Legos is you can look at that and say, well, if you just threw a pile of Legos on someone's desk and said, build me the Millennium Falcon, even the best builders would struggle, right? But as anybody that's built Legos knows, it doesn't just come with a pile of Legos. It comes with all the Legos neatly organized in different bags and it's got step-by-step -step documentation. Step one, put this piece with this piece. And so with that type of documentation and process, um, even a 10-year-old could build the Millennium Falcon, no problem. Yeah, and I, th yeah. I think that's why Lego is so successful as well. It's not just for the kids and adults, but it's it's that booklet. It's that that step-by-step -step guide where you can feel comfortable to put together that Millennium Falcon, as you say. Yeah, I'm a massive Lego fan myself. So, yeah, I do like the, the idea of um, going back in time where you started with the book on, on how these systems and sales processes came about as well. Some of the other takeaways I got from the book as well is like to scale your sales function, you need a repeatable system. Um, and another thing I got from it to avoid, you know, you don't need to hire these expensive sales unicorns. You need to break down your system into specialized steps and take a team selling approach. So give me some examples of companies you've, you've worked with and how you've gone in there and, um, and how you work with, you know, let's, let's say small to medium companies that want to scale and grow. What's the first sort of steps you do when you go in there as a, you know, digital marketing agency? Yeah, I mean, well, the first thing we do, which which any good consultant would do, is diagnosis. I like to use a doctor analogy a lot. Before I'm going to tell you what you need to do or fix, I need to diagnose the problem. And I'm very big on going to root causes. A lot of people want to treat symptoms. So the first step is always diagnost diagnostic process. And we look at 10 key areas from... Um, what is your unique value proposition to start? Because if you go to market, you try to sell stuff, regardless of whether you have a process or not, if your products or services are inferior, you're dead in the water. So we really take a methodical approach at looking at um, unique value, marketing. We're not a marketing agency, but obviously I have a big marketing background. So we like to make sure that people are generating enough leads. Um, and then from there, it's all about that sales process, right? What is step one? When we go in, we find that a lot of people are skipping steps. For example, a common one is, especially in smaller and medium-sized businesses, is a prospect calls up, they have a quick phone call. They're almost like order takers at McDonald's, right? Um, and the person says, I need help with X, Y, and Z. And they say, great. And they email them a proposal 20 minutes later or the next day. There's no real discovery or diagnosis of what the client needs are. And, and then the, the uh, sales pitch is just kind of generic. So to your question, when we go in and work with people, we say, what are the key questions you ought to be asking up front to get the information you need to win this deal and helping document that process? So when 
the next salesperson comes in, whether they're super experienced or not, they've got a template, a document. Hey, when you go into that first meeting, ask these questions. Here's why you're asking these questions and the type of information. And so when you train people and give them, you know, step-by-step documentation, that's how you can bring in less than stellar talent and, and really get them to produce well. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for unpacking that. It t- makes total sense. In chapter two, you, you talk about positioning your agency to win and you give a great example of a, a Formula One team with uh, Mercedes-Benz. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, actually, chapter two is my favorite chapter in the whole book. Um because I've seen this, we just had a client, a new client, they're a $5 billion biosciences company. So obviously we're working with two of their specific business units. One of them did $56 million last year, just this one business unit. Their goal was 76, so they fell short and they've doubled it for this year, even though they didn't even hit it last year. And when we started doing that diagnosis, we realized they're skipping all kinds of steps and doing a lot of things wrong. But what they do have is, as I talk about in chapter two, they've created a winnable game for themselves. They offer some pretty unique services that they can't be found elsewhere. And the clients absolutely have to, they're they're working with drug companies that are developing new drugs. They have to do these certain tests and things that my client does. And so in chapter two, I'm talking about positioning yourself in a way that makes it easy to market and sell yourself. Um, And I used the the Formula One race team example because uh, Mercedes made a small change to their engine, which made their car faster than everybody else. So every time they enter the race, they're probably gonna win. And that's kind of what I'm talking about there. How can we enter a sales race with a product or service that's so uniquely differentiated or so well positioned to your target customer that before you even open your mouth to quote sell, they're already kind of wanting. And that's really what chapter two in that Mercedes story is all about. Yeah, um, I like that uh, analogy. And another analogy you use in the book as well is how to find the best fishing hole. So obviously before your your fundamental positioning, you, you want to share what you've called the, the fishing framework. What is the fishing framework? Yeah, the fishing framework just kind of distinguishes four different um, types of ponds you can fish in, right? Because a lot of times clients come to us and they say, hey, we want sales training. We want this, that, or the other thing. But if you're fishing in the wrong pond, it doesn't matter how great your process is or your documentation is. If there's no fish in the pond, you know, there's no use, right? So we talk about crowded ponds. That's ponds or industries you're, you're working in that are they have a lot of competition and you have no differentiation. So it's hard to fish in that kind of a pond. We also talk about on the, on the far end, ponds that just don't have very many fish in it. I have clients that work in, in the traditional publishing, book publishing industry, for example, which there are pockets that are growing and digital learning and different things, but traditional book publishing is not exactly taking off like certain other industries. So their pond is kind of smaller, right? Um, and then we talk about ponds where the fish just simply aren't hungry for what you're selling. And the example I use in the book is if you sell, you know, financial consulting services to super high net worth, you know, hundred millionaires, billionaires, they're not searching Google for their next financial planner. So in other words, the pond doesn't exist where you can even fish. You got to belong to their country club to talk to that person, right? 
Um, and then the last one is the perfect pond, right? That's a pond that's big enough to hit your goals. It has enough hungry fish in it, but the competition is not so overwhelming that you can't be successful. And so it's just a way to help you figure out if you're fishing in the right area, because if you're not, again, all the process and training, you know, won't, won't do you much good if you're fishing in the wrong pond. Yeah, great. And you also talk about the different types of agencies and, you know, what kind of agency do you want when you grow up, such as, you know, freelance or small group. And, and you talk about big box agencies as well, uh, small to medium basic ones and, and small to midsize boutique agencies as well. Why is right. it so important to understand what you want to be with the agency? Or Well, I think it's important for, for several reasons, but predominantly for marketing and sales, right? If you go fishing, if you go try to generate leads and close deals, you got to have a match between the types of clients you want to work with and the services you offer and your sales messaging in the middle. That is, I, I look at salespeople as liaisons between the client's needs and the services that they offer. And so by under, you know, some people want to shop uh, at Walmart here in America and they just want the cheapest thing. Other people wouldn't be caught dead in Walmart. And the same is true with digital marketing agencies, right? You have the big box Walmart type agencies that sell very cookie cutter, less expensive services, which may be appropriate for certain fishing ponds and certain fish. But other fish may want that boutique custom feel that you get from a custom or smaller retailer, uh, to use the analogy. And so if you don't have that all lined up, what happens is there's a lot of inefficiency. People come in wanting a boutique experience, but you don't have one. And so by deciding who you're going to be, then you can align your marketing, your sales messaging and your service and delivery so that you're attracting the right people that you know you can be successful with. And if you don't do that, you get all kinds of uh, confusion and inefficiency with the wrong people knocking on your door. Yeah. How do you help um, agencies sort of with great positioning on, on how to position what some tips or strategies you can give, you know, small to, small to medium boutique agencies where uh, you help them with positioning? Sure. Yeah, so we obviously have a pretty thorough process of research their industry. But when it comes to digital marketing agencies, there's a few ways, a few shortcuts. I talk about different ways in the book, but one of the easiest shortcuts is, is to specialize, right? So instead of being a digital marketing agency, you can be a digital marketing agency that specializes in uh, working with law firms, for example. Um, so this way, if a law firm is looking for digital marketing help, they can say, well, agency A is general, agency B is general, but these guys are specialists. They must know law firms better than, than the other two guys. So specialization is a quick shortcut. Um, also, you can specialize not only in an industry, but on a service, maybe you only do law firms and you only do SEO. So you're truly an expert at that combination. So positioning is about finding, first you have to understand who your ideal target customers are because you can't position in a vacuum, right? You're positioning to some specific fishing ponds needs, right? And then from there, you have to just ask, you know, what do these people really want? What's important to them? How can I be a little bit different in terms of my value that I present to them, and so specialization is is a good is a good shortcut. Yeah, got it. We'll, we'll come back to the book in a second and go through chapter three. But I want to go back in time and when uh, you overheard one of your boss says, uh, sorry, when one of your bosses said, 
um, how terrible you were at sales. And then fast forward to a decade later and you're sitting there at a conference next to your boss and you get that ding on your phone and you made the sale to Amazon. Talk about that, uh, that sale and how that sort of unfolded. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment for me. It's a little egocentric, but I still loved it. Yeah, so I started, as I mentioned earlier, as a, as a marketing strategist doing marketing, not selling marketing. And my this particular boss was actually an amazing salesperson, one of the best I've ever seen to this day. And so I would go with him on sales calls because we were a small agency at the beginning. And so I wasn't really in charge of sales by any means, but I had to sometimes talk in these sales meetings and I really just lacked confidence. I didn't see myself as a salesperson um, and I, I really wasn't very good at it. I would sort of say the wrong things and give away too much information and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, and then I left that agency and started my own with a couple of partners, as I mentioned. And um, after about a year or so, we, we lost the partner that was supposed to do sales. And so not wanting to go have to go get a nine to five job, I, uh, I raised my hand. I said, hey, let me get, let me take a stab at sales. And through a lot of hard work and trial and error, I turned myself into a very good salesperson at least in terms of results. And um, yeah, a, a number of years, it was about a decade after I left that I was asked to sit on a sales expert panel and he was in the audience. I hadn't seen him since I left and he was sitting at my table. It was like a lunch kind of thing. And I had been working on a deal to sell some uh, SEO services to Amazon and the deal closed while I was up on stage and I checked my email going back to the table and uh, was very excited. And to have that, you know, right in front of the guy that really tore me down at the beginning was, was pretty, pretty enjoyable. It was a, a great fuck you moment, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How did, Absolutely. How did that sale unfold? So you sold SEO to Amazon, which is a massive, massive contract and a massive deal. But how, how did that deal sort of line up and what was the process on, on landing a big fish like that? Yeah, I actually, th this is a really good teaching moment. So when I, sell, when I say I sold SEO to Amazon, I absolutely did. But what people, it, it wasn't like, SEO for all of Amazon, right? Amazon's huge. They have lots of different departments. So this was an SEO project um, and scope of work for a very specific department for a very specific uh, use case, right? And I think a lot of times, you know, I obviously throw that out and I put it in the book because it's impressive. But sometimes, you know, people forget Amazon is made up of just people, right? And some of them work in departments and have plenty of budget that they can easily, you know, say yes to without having to go to, you know, Jeff Bezos or anybody. Right. And so one thing I think it's important is don't for younger salespeople, don't get um, stressed out about big names and big brands because these are just human beings. And so how that came up, uh, came about actually it was partly related to what we were talking about earlier with chapter two. The agency I was representing at the time were specialists in e-commerce um, digital marketing. Uh, obviously, Amazon's pretty big in e-commerce if you haven't heard of them. And um, 
And so we had a reputation due to that specialization and the content marketing and being done. So they reached out to us and you know heard good things from other people and someone we had worked with before went to work at Amazon and gave us a call. And so, you know, it just kind of um, transpired naturally out of that specialization and doing great work. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I like that story and um, I, I like how you sort of landed them. But you're right, specialization is the key. You can't be generic, you can't be vanilla. You need to be like a, a, a very, very sharp tip of a spear. They need to know what you do, how great you do it, and can you get the job done as well. Another little yep. thing, going back to the book on Chapter 3, you talk about the, the core methodology, which is authentic uh, strategic selling. And, and most people think that you know selling is the same as, as talking, but the most effective salespeople know that listening is the most important part of their jobs as well. How important is it to listen to the client, not just talking to the client? Yeah, I mean, it's critical. Um, one of the ways I approach sales in general is it's listening, but asking some questions around, you know, trying to really hear where they're coming from and what their pain is. Sometimes people will come in and say something like, I need SEO. But if you ask deeper questions, if you have that diagnostic hat on and you really listen to their answers, you can often hear things behind what they're saying and get those real pain points. And then to me, a lot of, not all of, but a lot of selling is coming back and saying, you know, I heard this, or I think you were really struggling with this, even though you said that, such that your presentation just hits all the buttons and they're like, they feel like uh, no one's ever listened to them like that before. Yeah, it's, it's listening to understand instead of listening to respond. And uh, one of the things you talk about in the book about selling strategically is to pinpoint and clarify the, the prospect's problems as they see them as well. So I guess that's building rapport too by listening, clarifying, asking follow-up questions as well, um, diagnosing the root cause of the state of problem as well. Um, yeah, going down in there, you talk about the core methodology, which is value-based selling. How important is value-based selling um, in in selling to, in selling as an agency? Yeah, I think it's it's critical in almost in most type of B two B sales, right? Because we're we're trying to sell to outcomes. Nobody's trying to buy any service, whether you're a digital marketing agency or a software company or, or whatever. There's some outcome that the service is supposed to deliver. And so when it comes to digital marketing in particular, I mean, why does anybody buy marketing services? Either to get more leads or sales or both, right? Um, and so by paying attention to the ultimate outcomes that people want, which again, with digital marketing is typically more money and selling to that as opposed to what a lot of people do is they sell their scope of work. We'll do three blog posts a month and we'll do this and we'll do five of these and three of those. That's all irrelevant unless it leads to five more leads, six more deals, a million more dollars, right? And so connecting all of what you do to those end outcomes, which are typically financially related when you're talking about digital marketing is really critical. Yeah. And then jumping into chapter four, you talk about uh, attract the, the leads you need. And one of the good quotes in there says, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is you don't know which, which half as well. Talk to us <laughs> about uh, some tips and tricks on attracting the leads that you need. Yeah. So that actually kind of goes back to chapter two to a certain degree, right? If you, and I think I use this example in the book, but I have a picture of um, a lump of poop, a generic brown package, 
and a cure for cancer. And the idea there is a lot of agencies, products or services are kind of generic. You know, they're pretty good. They deliver to some degree, but they look and sound like most other options, right? Um, but if you can move closer to a cure for cancer, a, a truly, you know, if you had a real cure for cancer and um, it really worked and had minimal side effects, sales process and sales skill become less and less important, right? So um, I think, I'm sorry, what was your original question? Uh, the question is what any tips or tricks on how to sort of attract the the leads oh, right, that, right, that, right. that you need, yeah. Yeah, so whether you whether you go out and you're going to do content marketing or paid search or speed, whatever you're going to do to generate leads, if you have that, quote, cure for cancer or that unique differentiation, people start to come to you more so than you have to cold call and say, you want digital marketing, you want digital marketing, you want digital marketing. Um, and that's what that e-commerce agency did, right? They did a great job of teaching people about e-commerce marketing through their content marketing. And people would call all the time, this is attraction, um, saying, hey, I read your blog post on this side of the other thing. Or I saw you at this trade show in your presentation and they just, you guys are the clearly the e-commerce specialists. We need some help. That's what that sounds like when, it, when it's done well, is that people are coming to you because they heard something unique from you somewhere in your marketing that attracted them to you as opposed to cold, you know, cold calling and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you mean, you, you mentioned in, um, sorry, you mentioned in your book about attracting uh, leads versus generating leads as well. And, you know, you can do the old 100 cold calls a day and might get one or two, and it's, you know, it's not yeah. good for your brand. But you can go on the other end, which is sales 401, which is positioning yourself to a position where customers are reaching up to you instead yeah. of you reaching down to them and asking for the business. So I guess it's a, it's a balance of the two as well. Um, yep. Also, to even know what a, what a problem is, uh, bro, you say that in the book. It's uh, one of the reasons people are confused to solve their sales problems is they don't clearly understand the difference between symptoms, problems, causes, and, and solutions. Can you expand on that? Yeah. I mean, this relates back to something we were just talking about, but a lot of times when people call digital marketing agencies and other types of companies, they say something like, hey, we, we need some SEO. Or they may even be a little bit more specific, like we need some link building for our SEO. And a lot of times, especially with digital marketing, because it's still somewhat new compared to lots of other industries that have been around for 100 years, people calling don't actually know what they need, right? It's just like going to the doctor and saying, hey, doc, I got a headache. The patient doesn't really know what else to say. It's up to the doctor to diagnose. And so what we want to do to be able to sell effectively and also to be able to actually help the person after they become a client is get down to that root cause. Is it really link building that's messing up your SEO? Do you even need SEO? <laughs> right. So it's, it's asking those questions. So in that scenario, I would start with why do you want SEO? You know, and it's always going to go back to what we just talked about. Well, I'm trying to generate more leads or sales, and I think SEO can do it. And I think uh, link building is something. So it's it's really getting down to the bottom of their need and then going backwards. Is this really going to solve their problem? Is it link building? And you're supposed to be the expert so you can assess that. And maybe they're right. Sometimes they're right. Pretty often they're either dead wrong um, or what they're asking for is only part of the solution that would actually produce the outcome they want. And that's what that's all about. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, it's, it's getting down to the, the root cause. Is it poor execution? Is it you're just yeah. making sure that they're, they're, 
diagnose him before you actually give him the, the value that you need. Another thing right. you talk about in the book, you talk about three-wheeled marketing and how to identify per hour. What is the flywheel to flywheels? What's, what's your definition of the flywheel and how, why is that important? Yeah, flywheels are important because you don't want all of your marketing to always take a ton of money and a ton of effort forever. Right. So certain things we were just talking about SEO, SEO can be an example of a flywheel where you put a lot of effort in building content, doing your keyword research, whatever you got to do. But fast forward a year later, you got your rankings and, and things are going pretty well. It's not like you can set it and forget it and never touch it again, but it's a flywheel. You've built up energy in the system from that work at the beginning and it continues to pay dividends over time. Another example would be building referral partnerships. You put effort in, you make the calls, you make some deals, you get some friends in the industry, and eventually they start sending you leads. And I've had people that I've built a relationship with 10 years ago that just send me leads all the time, forever, (laughs) and no effort. So that's a flywheel. It becomes completely effortless or mostly effortless after the initial effort. And, And the other one you talk about is the money wheel. What's the money wheel? Yeah, money wheel is like paid search, right? Um, paid search can be a good lead generator for your business or sell e-commerce products, whatever the case may be. Uh, but you just have to keep putting money in forever, right? Paid search only works as long as you keep putting money back in. So that's a money wheel. And the last one is uh, hand cranks. What is a hand crank? <laughs> a hand crank is something that requires you to physically be present to execute generally like speaking. Um, you have to physically go and do the speaking or networking or make the partnership calls. And so sometimes hand cranks can turn into flywheels. Uh, for example, you might speak and maybe speaking is something you do for long periods of time for years. And you just have to keep cranking. You have to keep going out and speaking, but maybe partnerships fall out of some of your speaking gigs that turn into a flywheel. But hand cranks basically relates to physical manual participation. Yeah, got it, got it. Now in the book, you talk about uh, the story of the $50 a a month marketing budget, but yeah, talk to us a little bit about that and how to create sort of a seven-figure agency starting with uh, 50 bucks uh, a month. Yeah, so uh, that's a good one. Yeah, I I call it my $50 a month marketing budget, but it was really for networking, entrance fees, and parking. Uh, (laughs) So we weren't actually using it for, you know, ads or anything like that, but Um, yeah, that was about, we had done a good job with what I talked about earlier. We had some very unique positioning. This was 15 years ago and we were talking about doing paid advertising and conversion rate optimization to optimize those conversions on your landing page years before anybody put those together or very few people had put those together. And so the $50 marketing budget was me going out and pounding the pavement, talking to people. I did start speaking at conferences. And again, it was just to get me in the door and have a few bucks in my pocket to to pay for parking and a drink or something. And it was really me telling that unique value story, that winnable game that we had created um, that got us direct deals, partnerships, invitations to speak on webinars and things like that. And so once we got some traction, then that budget became a lot bigger and we could invest in 
me flying around and speaking and, and other forms of marketing. Yeah, it's, it's a great story that uh, you put in the book as well. And obviously, we won't go through all the book because it is a big book. It's 304 pages and we're only sort of up to not even halfway through. But in Chapter 5, you talk about uh, lead response that puts you in the lead and you talk about how speed sells. So why is it so important uh, to have speed when, when you talk about converting leads as well? Yeah, well, I talk about it in two ways. At first, you got to be really fast, right? So there's studies that have been done that when you generate leads from the internet, in other words, cold, not a referral, not that someone that saw you speak or something, maybe you're doing paid search or something like that, and you're generating these leads that are coming through, hey, saw your website, want to talk to you about your paid search services or whatever you sell. Um, that's a, you know, a cold lead at that point. And so the research shows that that person is probably filling out forms on three or four or five other websites. And if you get back to them super quickly, like literally within five minutes of the lead coming in when you can, um, it really dazzles people because other agencies probably aren't doing that. And so speed at the beginning gets you far more contacts with your leads um, while they're hot and warm and it impresses them and it kind of tells the story that hey these guys are responsive if they were this responsive up front they'll probably be responsive to my needs once i become a client so speed in lead response is critical to getting more actual appointments and closing more deals but on the back end when you get into the sales process you sometimes need to slow down a little bit to do that good listening that we were talking about earlier so there are yeah. times to go fast and times to go slow. Yeah, and in Chapter 6, you, you deep dive into it, whereas diagnosing the, the, the root causes, and you have a great quote in the book by Bruce Lee, which says, a wise man can learn more from a foolish question than a fool can learn from a wise answer. And you talk about the importance of, you know, after executing a diagnosis call, um, you, you have to sort of slow it down. So talk to us about the importance of a, a good discovery call, a.k.a. diagnosis call. Yeah, we, I use uh, discovery and diagnosis interchangeably, but again, a, a lot of agencies, especially on the smaller side, um, they tend to just do a very quick call. Oh, you want SEO and link building? We do that. Cool. Let me get your proposal. And then they just email out the proposal, right? I mean, imagine if a doctor did that to a patient. Oh, your head hurts and you think you have strep throat? Here's your medicine. No, 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 no. We got to slow down, ask some questions, dig in. Because that's how we're going to have a better chance of selling and closing the deal, but also in actually making the client happy. Because as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times people call in and ask for stuff that is just literally not what they need or only a little piece of what they need. So we want to be a, a good doctor. We want to dig in. We want to get to the roots. We want to understand the whole picture so that when we come back with a presentation, we can say, hey, I know you called about this. Let me tell you why you need this, that, and the other thing to truly produce the outcome. And so that diagnosis process and having some standard questions that you're going to ask to make sure you get the information you need to really uh, deliver the right prescription and sales pitch is absolutely critical. Yeah, and then after that, you, you talk about prescribing um, prescribing strategic solutions, and um, you have a good analogy about uh, golf. You're a bit of a golf nut, and uh, talk to me about prescribing strategic solutions and how that ties into golf with your son. Yeah, so um, strategic solutions. I like to. I think I talk about in the book a strategic solutions sketch. Um, 
So on that first or second discovery call, we're not doing the full pitch, right? We haven't gone into the lab and done the x-rays and the MRIs to actually have the full prescription. But even in that first discovery call, you can really set yourself apart and establish yourself as a trusted advisor by um, sketching out a solution. Hey, what I'm hearing is this. I think we might need to do a little bit more of this. Let me, let me and the team go dig. And that's the sales engineering process that kind of relates to that golf analogy, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, but by sketching that out, which requires you to have product knowledge, you have to understand what you're selling. That's also very important. You can start to set yourself up as, wow, this guy seems to be more of a business consultant and, and seems to know what he's talking about. Then the sales engineering process, that's where we're going to dig in and really, again, like, the doctor may say, hey, I felt your leg and I think your ACL may be off, but we need to go do an MRI. And that's where you come back with that strategic solution sketch. And by doing the sales engineering, um, you're going to make sure that you're bringing on clients that you have a really good chance of, of doing a good job for because you actually dug in and um you know, creating a sales pitch that's really going to resonate at a deeper level than just doing a quick generic proposal. And I think the analogy to golf that I use in there is is um, walking while playing golf versus riding in a cart. Riding a cart's easier. Sales engineering, as I just described, it can take a lot more work, which is like walking when playing golf. But when I walk, when I play golf, I get more exercise. I don't have to go to the gym. And so the analogy in the book is that sometimes doing what seems like the harder thing, taking more time in the sales process to do your sales engineering can actually pay major dividends, not only in closing more deals, but making sure that the scope of work is appropriate for the client. And just like walking in golf, you can get a lot more benefits than you can just by taking the easy, lazy way and riding in a cart. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, and the book is filled with, with so much more as well. So just to touch on some of the chapters, what we, we won't touch on as well. So for people listening to this, and if you're in the digital marketing space, or if you're a business owner, or even in sales, this book is perfectly for you um, you go through how to create presentations that wow and win you talk about you know the perfect pitch as well tracking tools templates and automation so for people out there listening where where can they find the book or you also mentioned you're giving away a couple free chapters as well where, where can they access this yeah so obviously you can get it on amazon it's clone the ace you can go buy one um if you want the free chapters, it's the beginning all the way through chapter two, which, as I said, is super valuable just by itself. You can go to our website, solvesales.com. It's like solve a problem, solvesales.com. And if you just click on the book page right under the picture of the book on the left side, there's a little form. You can get the free chapters uh, at the beginning of the book. Yeah, awesome. And where do you spend most of your time on uh, online yourself? So if people want to connect with you personally, if people want to, um, if, you, if they're a small, medium, boutique, whatever agency and want to work with you, um, yeah. how can people contact you for uh, more information? Sure. Well, obviously, you can go to the website. You can email me directly, forest, F-O-R-R-E-S-T, at solvesales.com. I'm also relatively active on LinkedIn, so those would be the three best places to get in touch with me. And um, who were some of the authors or um, books that you've read uh, in your early days that sort of started you on this career? Is there any highlights or any favorite authors or books that, that you recommend to others in the sales uh, case? Specific, specific to sales? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I think the two that stand out were uh, Spin Selling by Neil Rackham, which I still love to this day. And that really taught me the importance of asking good questions. And the other one that stands out is A Little Red Book of Selling by Jeffrey Gitmer. Um, I feel like both of those have some really great insights. And The Little Red Book of Selling in particular has a lot of very specific things you can do, which is kind of how I tried to write my book. It's very meat and potatoes. It's very do this. Let me show you an example. It's not just highfalutin uh, theories. It's, it's very meat and potatoes uh, type of information. Yeah, your book reminded me of uh, spin selling uh, a lot as well. So it was, uh, it was well put together. But yeah, it, it works. And if you, if you follow the formula and you follow what other successful people do as well, you know, as Tony Robbins says, if you want success, just follow what other pe- successful people do and, and follow the, the path. There's, there's no use of going through the forest with a machete. Just walk the path that's already been made. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes in life, we just need someone a couple of chapters ahead of us and authors like yourself that put together fantastic books like this too. So uh, yeah, thank you for your work and thank you for putting it all together as well. And um yeah, it's uh, it's a fantastic book. So for my audience out there listening, uh, go out there, purchase this book. You're going to get a lot out of it. So if you're in sales or a business owner, you definitely need this particular book. Now, another thing, Forrest, if you were to have sort of a dinner party with three people, uh, dead or alive from the past to famous, who would they be? Uh, where would you take them or what would you serve them? So three people, dinner party, you're hosting. Who are all, they? All together. All together. Uh, let's see. The first two that come to mind are Elon Musk. I just think his vision and his, I just think he's an amazing business person from a insight standpoint. So I'd, I'd love to meet him. Um, another one that maybe some people have heard of, a lot of people probably haven't is Osho. Um, he's probably more popular now through his wild, wild country documentary. He's actually, he's actually my guru before um, that even came out. So I've, I've oh, read yeah. always, I've not read, he's done 650 books. He's read over a hundred thousand books. A lot of people don't know the, uh, the wild, wild West, uh, sorry, the wild, wild country, which was the yeah. Netflix documentary. It's not a propaganda uh, thing. Cause it doesn't go into his teachings. It just goes into the story of Oregon. So yeah, we, we could have a whole podcast on this oh, as well. Yeah. I'm actually reading, reading the book about Sheila about called Don't Kill Him. So oh. that's a very interesting yeah. insight to who he was as a person. But yeah, we yeah. can talk about that offline. But who is the other one? So Elon, Osho, and? Uh, who's the other one? Who's the other one? Um, you got know. me wound up now on Osho. On Osho. Yeah, I, I've read probably 30, 40 of his books. Wow. Um, who was the other one? Probably, you know, and only because you just mentioned it and – uh, my wife just took a course with him last week. Tony Robbins, I think, would be actually pretty pretty interesting to meet with. He seems like a, a very interesting and effective human. That would actually be a really good conversation. So Elon being Elon, Osho being Osho, and then Tony being Tony, two different, three different energies. Where would you take him or what would you serve him? Or would you have him at home or would you take him out? Uh, I would probably take him to Osho's International Meditation Retreat, <laughs> which I <laughs> to <laughs> Yeah, that, that would be cool. That would be cool. Now, um, we, we appreciate you, Forrest, for all the work you've done. And, uh, yeah, is there any other works or projects or books coming out in the future or what are you, what are you sort of working on at the moment? Yeah, I do plan on creating some new books. I think we're going to – I'm going to probably write a shorter book. Uh, the, the, the Clone the Ace is – great for lots of different people 
but it's very specifically written for digital marketing agencies. All of the digital, all of the examples are digital marketing specific. And again, uh, other kinds of consultants can certainly get stuff out of it. But I think I'm going to write a more B two B manifesto, B two B sales manifesto that borrows a lot from Clone the Ace, but is is a little bit broader and a little bit more specific to some of the principles we've developed since I finished writing the book. Awesome, awesome. Well, we look forward to that and uh, thank you for your time and um, yeah, enjoy the rest of the year. And again, people out there, go out, purchase the book and uh, connect with Forrest as well. So thank you for being a guest on the Best Book Bits podcast and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Michael. No worries. Have a great day. You too. Bye.